Well, good morning. I trust you're doing okay. It's great to be able to share with you today. It'd be so much better if you could be in the room with me, but nevertheless, I'm believing that God will really bless you and encourage you as you engage with us today. I was reminded last week of something I had read some time ago that mentioned the fact that everything we need to know in life, we could learn from the life of Noah. It's an obvious reference to the book written in 1988 by Robert Fulgram, entitled, All I Really Needed to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. But the life lessons of Noah contain these. Don't miss the boat. Plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Stay fit. When you're 600 years old, you never know. Someone may ask you to do something big. Build your future on high ground. And for safety's sake, travel in pairs. Speed isn't always an advantage. The snails were on board with the cheetahs. And when you're stressed, float a while. I like that last one. There are numbers of others, but I like that last one. When you're stressed, float a while. The whole idea of being able to float in the middle of stress is fantastic. In fact, being able to float away to some remote island would be absolutely ideal. But the reality is that is not God's purpose for us in the midst of trial and difficulty, in the midst of stress. To escape, that is. His will for us and our lives is to be a part of building what he's building and being a blessing to others. You know, as we have a desire to build the church and bring glory to Jesus, and use the gifts, talents, and abilities he's placed in our life, we will step into all that he has for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't face pressure and stress. There will still be demands on our lives. I know many are feeling stressed and pressured, feeling huge demands at the moment, somewhat overwhelmed and unsettled. And how are we supposed to face all that? You know, to cope with, to get by, to manage, to survive, and at the same time, cooperate with the transforming process that pressure and stress, along with the demands of life, can have in our lives and still maintain our witness as followers of Jesus Christ. Still be a part of all he wants us to be in terms of building his church and being a blessing to others. Be it what we're seeing on the news or reading in our news feed, our family life, our work, business, financial, investment, social media, our friends, they can all bring stress to our lives. And throw on top of that changing regulations and having to navigate the latest COVID uh, regulations, working from home with preschoolers and the distractions associated with that. It's, it's no wonder people are saying, ah, stop the world, I want to get off. Stress, we're told, if not handled correctly, can lead to all sorts of medical problems from depression and heart disease through to sleep disorders and skin conditions. And in times of stress and pressure, we can feel a little bit like Bilbo Baggins from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, where he told Gandalf, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter spread over too much bread. Is that how you feel? Spread too thin? Today, I'd like to look at how to cope with the demands of life, with that which weighs us down, and still, in the process, be able to make a valuable contribution to building that which Jesus is building and continue to be a blessing to others around us. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, and it's been referenced previously, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now how many know that no matter how much we pray and love God and come to church, read the Bible, how obedient we are, how holy we are, we're in for trouble. Trouble is not an indicator that we're outside God's will. In fact, it can be an indication we're right where we are supposed to be. And if we are to look at how to cope with pressure and stress and that feeling of being under the pump, there's no better place to look than to the life of Jesus Christ. He modeled how to handle it. You see, just like us, Jesus could only be at one place at a time. 
And just like us, he had emotions that need to be kept in check. And just like us, he was hungry and tired and cold and, and hot, yet he handled all of this in the right way. You'll notice in reading the scriptures, particularly the gospels, he never used his miraculous powers to make life better for himself. He never made himself less stressful as a result of using those miraculous powers. I hear you saying, well, how stressful was his life? Well, let's consider the fact that he was completely misunderstood, even his own family and followers at times, let alone everyone else, like the religious leaders and the public at large. He wasn't accepted. It's been said rejection is the deepest wound in the human heart. And when you love someone, you empower them to hurt you. And he loved the world. He had the pressure of the temptation to avoid the cross. It's been said the last temptation Jesus would have heard would have been that, at least had would have been that when he heard them say, you know, if you are the Christ, come down off the cross, free yourself, save yourself and to prove yourself. So he was misunderstood. He was not accepted. He was tempted. The fourth pressure and stress that he would have faced is he had a very short period of time to achieve the mission that he had, which was to begin to build the church, just three and a half years. And uh, his disciples were slow learners. In fact, I remember hearing Ray Bevan refer to them as the Marvelettes. It was Jesus and the Marvelettes because Scripture tells us whenever he did anything, they always marveled at what he did but never quite got it. He also carried the heavy burden of the responsibility that he had. I mean, he was required to die for the entire world. Talk about pressure. He also had the pressure of what others thought and expected. It looked when he was, that he hadn't finished the job. There were sick people still unhealed. There were demonized people still in bondage. There were people still not saved. I think you'll agree that that put him under constant pressure and stress, yet he was not overwhelmed. Well, how did he manage it? Well, it's interesting that straight after Jesus said in John 16 33, in this world, you will have trouble. The next verse is chapter 17, verse 1, and it gives us some insight as to how he coped. It reveals what he did. I'd like to read it to you. John 17, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to jump down to verse 4. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And in verse 4 he said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So we see here that Jesus looked up. He looked up. He looked toward heaven. And we need to do the same if we desire to manage the demands on our life. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love that word cast. It's throw all your anxiety on him. Know this, God is concerned about everything. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about me even the smallest things in our lives. And often we get so tied up in ourselves, our problems and our difficulties, we don't take them to the Lord in prayer. Pride can prevent us from doing that too. Oh, I can do it myself. We need to realize the Lord desires for us to be dependent upon Him. We can be guilty of telling people how big our problem is rather than telling our problem how big our God is. There have been numerous times when I've actually had to do that. I've gone into my own bedroom and looked in the mirror and said, I refuse to allow this thing to rob me of my joy because it's easy to get our focus wrong. It has to be on him. So number one, we need to look to heaven. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He has big shoulders. He's well able to carry our burden. The second thing Jesus modeled in terms of how to handle the pressure and stress of life was that he knew what his purpose was. And in verse 1, it says, 
Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He knew his ultimate purpose was to give his life for us. And in the same way that he knew his purpose, we need also to know ours. I've loved what Carl has been sharing recently about intimacy with the Lord. You know, he said that we need to ensure that our Martha assignments, kind of what we do, um, that they flow out of times of intimacy with the Lord as Mary would model for us in Luke chapter 10. And from that place of intimacy, we have revealed to us the purpose that he has for our life, what the Lord wants us to do. Jesus was born in order to offer himself as a ransom for us all. He gave himself on the cross. He died that we might have life. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can know our sin and wrongdoing, our guilt and shame washed away. And we are destined for an eternity with him in heaven. Jesus knew he had to do that, but he knew to build his church, it was going to cost him his life. And in the same way he knew what he had to do, we need to establish what we need to do and we are called to do and lock in on that. What is our mission? How can my life best be a blessing to others? You know, we're called to cooperate in building his church and being a blessing to others by using what he's given us for the benefit of others. You know, we can go 40 days without food, three days without water, but only a few minutes without hope. Because without hope, it's very difficult to cope. It's been said the poorest person in town is not the one who is sleeping rough on the streets, hasn't showered for a month, and is reliant on the city mission for help, but it's a person without a vision, a person without a future, the person without hope. David charged at Goliath saying, is there not a cause to rid this this world of this, this giant Philistine who's defying the armies of the living God? And unfortunately, it's so easy to get engrossed in the things of the world. That can cause us not to be all that willing to lay our lives down for a cause. I will go so far, but that's it. The truth is we've got to come to that place that Psalm 73 verse 25 says. It's got to be embedded in our spirit and our soul that says this. There is nothing on this earth I desire. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a desire to get married and get a university degree, have a good job, a nice car, a lovely home. That's all good. But when it comes down to it, we have to know that to die in actual fact is a gain, that heaven is a better place. The Bible tells us no eye is seen, no ear is heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men and women the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 and 31, time is short, therefore we should live as those who use the things of the world as not being engrossed in them. We can still have them and still use them and still enjoy them, and that's great. But they're not to have us. They're not to have captivated us. When we find out what God has for us, we'll pay a price to achieve his plan and purpose. We'll pursue it with all our lives, no matter what the cost, because we know I was born for this. We'll forgo the world and all it has to offer in order to work out his plan in our lives, the cause for which we were born. We won't think anything of it. Carl recently has said, during the Build and Bless series, that building God's kingdom can cost us earthly norms, but will reap an eternal treasure. And as we know we are doing what pleases him, a lot of stress begins to diminish. Our purpose has to be bigger than the stress of life, bigger than the challenges, bigger than the demands. Otherwise, we'll opt out, look for a way of running away. Jesus had a purpose, and in living in pursuit of that meant that the stress and pressure, the pressure at least that he was under, did not dominate him. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that he set joy before him and endured the cross. 
We were that joy. We were his purpose, a redeemed people. So first, the first way that Jesus coped was he knew what to do. He looked toward heaven. The second thing he did is that he knew that what his purpose was and kept pursuing it. The third thing he did in coping with pressure and stress and all that was swirling around him was that he gave up his rights. Verses 1 and 2 refers to the fact that he gave up his right to life. I recall a number of years ago, my mother and brother flying down from Wellington to come and stay with us in Christchurch. And my mother being a little bit older meant that she was the last person to disembark the aeroplane. She and my brother walked across from the aeroplane to the terminal with the pilot and were able to converse with him. They thanked him for the safe journey and commented on the responsibility that he had in terms of all the lives and as, as a pilot. And he said, yes, indeed, there was a degree of responsibility and he did feel that at times. But he went on to say that ultimately when he came down to it, he would look out for number one, which I guess is not a bad thing considering if he looks out for himself, then everyone else behind him is going to be okay. But the truth is looking out for number one is not the best way to live a fulfilling life. Often it causes bitter emotions such as anger and strife. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 12, we read of how Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land and they're in the wilderness and Pharaoh changes his mind so sends his army out after them in order to recapture them and take them back to bondage. And whilst that's happening, the children of Israel realize that they're in great peril. And so they complained to Moses and said to Moses, yeah, it would be better for us to have not come here, but to have stayed in Egypt in bondage and to have died there. You know, we'll never fulfill the purpose and plan God has for our lives and cope with the pressure and stress if we live with that kind of attitude of looking out for number one or what's best for me. As God's children, we need to operate in the completely opposite spirit, have a completely different attitude. Not what's best for me, but what's best for others. Yeah, that's how you live a fulfilling life, putting others before yourself. We've talked before of having Jesus first, then others, then ourselves. J-O-Y spells joy. Build and bless is all about others. It's all about building what the Lord is building, his church, and seeing others come to Christ and seeing them blessed by our lives. It's very much putting others first. Yeah, think about it. What would have happened if Jesus had you know, lived looking out for number one? There wouldn't be a cross. Or if David had lived looking out for number one, there wouldn't be Goliath. Or Peter had lived looking out for number one. There would be no walking on water. Or Paul had lived looking out for number one. We wouldn't have half the New Testament. All the other biblical writers had lived looking out for number one because they wrote at great peril of their lives. We wouldn't have the Bible. And if Tyndall and Wycliffe had lived looking out for number one, we wouldn't have it in the English language. We've got to be people of a different spirit, willing, prepared to put ourselves out for others for the purpose and plan of God. We can't afford to have a what's best for me attitude we might think it's going to bring life, but Proverbs 14, 12 tells us this. There's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. Jesus yielded his rights. As God, he humbled himself, took on the very nature of a servant, being obedient even to the point of giving him his life on the cross for you and for me. Okay, the fourth way Jesus modeled how to handle the pressure and stress of life that he faced was that he had something to give. Verse 2 tells us that he was able to give us eternal life. Mark 10, 45 says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, the giving of yourself, being a blessing to others, using the resources that you have and time, and the assets you've got, are all part of serving others 
and the cause of Christ. You know, if we discover our gifts and operate in them in order to bless others, there's going to be no real stress that we're going to feel. If you've got the gift of hospitality and I pop in to see you and you've got dishes in the sink and the cushions are in disarray on the couch or not even on the couch or on the floor along with the toys and there's washing out and I pop in, you're not going to get stressed. You're going to say, come on in, Paul, it's lovely to see you. Have a seat. I'm putting the kettle on. If you've got the gift of giving, you give of your time. It's a life, sorry, you, you, you give at any time at least. It's a lifestyle. It's not based on your income. And I believe we need to always live life with a generous heart, just as Jesus did, who always gave of himself. And even when he wanted to slip away from the crowds and have some time to himself, he would allow himself to be drawn back into the needs of others in order to minister to them. So being a giver, being a blessing to others relieves the stress as we begin to focus on the needs of others and not ourselves. Okay, and the fifth thing Jesus did was he did a good job. And if we're going to cope with the stress around our lives, we need to ensure that we are doing a good job. In verse four, Jesus completed the work the Father had for him. On the cross, he declared, it is complete, it is finished. Jesus glorified God through doing what he did with obedience, at least in obedience, and with excellence. Let's not take shortcuts, but let's do the best we can. That's one of the reasons we come under stress, is that we know what we should do, but we don't do it. But the minute we change our mind and decide we're going to start doing what we know we're supposed to do with a degree of excellence, stress begins to be relieved. Give life your best shot, whether it's your family life or your church life, your business and community groups that you're involved in, just everything your best shot. Let's not settle for mediocrity, but excellence. Doing the least won't do. A sort of attitude that says, well, how little can I get away with isn't the kind of attitude that Jesus displayed. We need to go for excellence, glorifying God through our obedience. You know, we live in a world where we have access to some of the best advice available on how to handle the demands of life. A world full of people with the most amazing hearts and minds. You know, doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and ministers and therapists who will give stressed out people the best they have in terms of medicine and tests and advice and prayer. And as important and as valuable as all those things are, we need to also ensure that we follow Jesus' lifestyle, the example he gave us in order to stay on top of everything and continue to bless others as we continue to build the church. So like Jesus, let's look to heaven. Turn everything to him. Let's find our purpose in life. Let's give up our rights and lay our lives down for others. Let's be a part of what Jesus is building. Let's become a giver and focus on others. Let's do our best in whatever we put our hand to. And I believe as we live that way, we can sense the presence of God in the midst of life's demands. And as we take time to be in his word, we'll get through. There's no substitute for the presence of God and the word of God. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I read of a young woman whose father underwent a heart transplant. And though at first it seemed to go well, after a few months, in actual fact, he passed away. And she lived in another city, so she went to the airport to catch the first flight she could to get to her father's town. She was so upset and heartbroken. 
while sitting there waiting for a flight, her grief overcame her and she started to weep uncontrollably. Now she didn't notice the man come over to her, but she felt his loving arms around her and she heard him say, ma'am, what's wrong? And she recognized the voice, looked up and it was Kevin Costner, the actor and director. Struck by her sadness, he had to offer her help. She explained that her father had passed away and Kevin Costner comforted her, staying so long in actual fact, he missed his own flight. And as he walked with her to her boarding gate, Costner mentioned that he would be returning to her city in order to film a movie in a few weeks' time. And encouraged her, at least invited her, to stop in and let him know how she was doing. Well, several months later, she was back in a home city and driving through some heavy traffic. And she realised the backup for traffic was in actual fact as a result of a movie crew that was filming in the local park. She wondered if it might be the movie that Kevin Costner was making, but then thought she shouldn't interrupt, even if it was. Well, later that day, she happened to be driving past the same spot, and something compelled her to stop. She learned it was, in actual fact, the movie that he was making. And so she told the security guard that he had invited her to pop in. He took her over to meet him. And, he, and Kevin Costner was just as kind and as warm as he had been at the airport and invited her to stay to watch some of the filming. Well, after a few minutes, a young executive, part of the production, came and sat down beside her and started chatting with her, just being friendly. He explained the scenes, the roles the various individuals had, etc. She found him so easy to talk to, and they were chatting like old friends. Well, that night, she rang her mother and said, today, I met the man of my dreams, referring to the young executive. I'm going to marry him. And sure enough, they began dating, fell in love, and a year later, were married. Now, who would have thought the stress of the loss of her dad and crying uncontrollably in an airport would lead to her connecting with her future husband? You see, the Lord allows pressure and stress in our lives, and he brings it all together for a purpose to make us complete. He is in control. He brings all the pieces of the puzzle of our life together to make us whole, and that includes the demands and the trials, the stressful moments, the disappointments, the pressured moments, because he works all things together for our good. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We started out by saying somebody once said something about the fact that we can learn all we need to learn from the life of Noah. Well, here's something from the original book by Robert Fulgram that I mentioned earlier, claimed to have been learnt in the kindergarten. A little extra advice, if you like. And um, as we wrap this up, hold on to this, I'm sure it'll help relieve stress. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say sorry when you hurt somebody. Live a balanced life. Learn some and drink some. Paint some. Sing and dance and play. And work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. And when you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. As we do that, we'll get through and be a blessing to others. I'd love to pray with you. It'd be great to pray, especially if you're feeling burdened right now, under the pump, as it were, and overwhelmed. If you're feeling stressed by the demands of life. So let's come to him. He said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's look to the Lord now, shall we? Lord Jesus, we do come to you and quiet ourselves before your throne of grace. We lay our burdens down before you, pressure and the demands that we feel we lay them at your feet thank you that you promised you'd never leave us nor forsake us that you'd be with us to the very end of your age 
or the age at least. And thank you, Lord, for grace that is sufficient, your grace that is sufficient for us, that strengthens us and it comforts us. We receive it now in Jesus' name. We so desire to be all that you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you, to look to heaven, to be about your purposes, to live with you in mind and with the desire to build and bless, not looking out for number one, but to be a giver and to use that which you've given us to the best of our ability to glorify you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Bless your people. Amen. Amen.